I heard a little girl overheard a little girl praying one time, and she prayed this simple prayer. Lord, if, if Daddy uses golf words in the house, will he still go to heaven? We pray in ways that don't make sense to other people. We pray in ways that don't make sense to us. We're in the series right now called Pray Like Paul. And I have prayed prayers in my life of desperation based on information that I had at the time, mainly to just try and get out of things. Have you ever been in a, in a small group and they do prayer request requests? And then an hour later you're finished talking about Uncle Mike's, you know, Toenails, ingrown toenails, crazy Uncle Joe, my grandmother, needs. We have grocery lists of needs. There was a study done by Lifeway not too long ago. They did a survey asking Protestants in the United States what they prayed for. Now, some of those prayers were pretty good prayers, but listen to this just percentage-wise. 51% said they prayed for their own sin. 46% said they prayed for their enemies. Of course, they didn't say what they prayed for. <laughs> I hope he gets hit by a car on the way home. 44% prayed for people with natural disasters. It's pretty good. 20% prayed to win the lottery. So they could tithe, right? 14% prayed for God to avenge someone who hurt them. Ooh. 11% prayed for their favorite team to win a game. I've never done that. You would think if your team's called the Saints, he'd answer. But of all teams, he does not answer. It's the Saints. Never mind. Sorry, I digress. 9% prayed to find a good parking spot. <laughs> Lazy. 7% prayed to not get caught speeding. I, I believe I've prayed that. But let's be honest. There's two major problems with prayer. And it's usually me. We don't know how to pray or we don't know what to pray, so we just pray whatever we got. Now, I believe we have a good God who can listen to all of it, right? And he's probably laughing a whole lot. So don't think that... Because you're praying things that you don't know what to pray, you're not in trouble for that. As a matter of fact, God knows us better than we know ourselves. So he invites us to pray. He actually says, in all circumstances, pray, right? So we can walk around in prayer. But at times, our prayers are like just throwing stuff against the wall. We're just, we're just throwing stuff to see what sticks, He's going to answer that. He's not going to answer that. And if I throw this out, maybe I'll get 80% today. Right? God used Paul in extraordinary ways for a couple reasons. To show us how to pray. He, when writing the passage that we're going to look at tonight, and I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians in chapter 3. Paul, the context of this is Paul's writing from prison. He's looking at four walls and chains. He's not exactly in a great spot. He would 
some would say, could have fallen in depression, did not have to write to a church that he'd founded. He starts the church in Ephesus, and now he's writing to them because he cares so much about them. What are most of my prayers about? Me. Not somebody else. They're about me. God, what you got for me? But Paul is writing for them and setting an example to them of how to pray at the same time. In his position, loves these people, the church, enough to pray for them. He wants to share some things that he knows they need. How many times did he have to go to churches and put out fires? They were doing things that they shouldn't have been doing, not knowing what they were doing was wrong, just needing a little guidance. You see his pastor's heart there. We are going to read verse 14 through 21, and I believe we're going to be able to answer those two questions tonight. What should we pray? What should we pray for? And how should we pray? Now, I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. If you don't have your Bible, just look at the screen and you'll be good. Verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You can be seated. The first thing I want you to see there, before anything else, is in verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. When we were taught how to pray by Jesus himself. He said, hallowed be thy name is the first thing that comes out of your mouth. It is not uncommon for you to see at the wailing wall hundreds of Jews standing and praying. Paul was going out of the box by making a point that God had given him such a humble position that he had to go to his knees to hear and to, to speak to God, to communicate. It's a posture of the heart where his heart bowed first and his body followed. So often we remain standing because we're not focused on hallowed be your name as much as we are the circumstances we want God to change like the genie in the bottle. So when he starts with hallowed be thy name, we go straight to learning how to play like Paul, pray like Paul. What did he know? He's got to know something important when he is really humbled 
by God when they had not seen anyone do this before. They weren't familiar with that. They were in control. They were powerful members of the community looked up to. Right? When, we, when I get in a position to say, you don't need to look up to me. I've recognized in my own heart that the foot of the cross is level. At the foot of the cross, it's level for all of us. There's no one in this room better than anyone else. There's no one out there better than anywhere else. The gospel was brought to the Jew and also to the Greek. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If that doesn't humble you, there's something broken inside of you that you need to reconsider. Whenever I get that way, it should break you. It breaks you. The starting point is true communication between you and the God of the universe. And when you go to your closet or you go to your bedroom and you go, Lord, here's all my crap, but I don't really mean anything and I don't want to give you anything because my heart's still standing up. My posture is still like this, but I want you to fix this. Isaiah 59 says this. The hand of the Lord is not short that it cannot save, nor is ear heavy that he cannot hear, but your sins have separated you from your God that he will not hear. Isaiah, woe to me. His posture changed so much that he changed a nation. You don't care what people think anymore. You don't joke about the wrong things anymore. You are humbled before the God of the universe on your face and on your knees, thankful that he did not strike you when you should have deserved it. You see, sinners need a Savior. People who, are, people who don't need a Savior don't get one. Paul knew that better than anyone. You remember when he was struck in the street. Now he's in prison. Paul had more reason to complain than anybody on the planet at the time. He was just. God had called him out. He knew that he deserved death. He said it over and over. And the closer I get to God, the dirtier I feel, like filthy rags. The communication that you have with God has to be, first of all, transparent. Otherwise, there's not going to be communication. What does bad communication look like in the workplace? Crappy workplace. Not a very successful business. Trouble. High turnover. What does a bad marriage communication look like? Two roommates waiting to split up. Can't agree on things, so it's easier to not talk. Why can I recognize that in this world, on these human terms, my lack of communication is broken, but I have no desire to talk to the Father? The God that made you able to communicate seriously. 
The God who made you to be able to be honest with him. The God who gave you a heart to receive love that only he could give. The God who comforts you in your affliction so that you could comfort others in their affliction. The God who made this world with his voice. And we can't trust him to just talk to him with our honest words. He already knows. He knows everything about you. And he loves you anyway. That was humbling to me. He knows everything about me. And he loves me anyway. Anybody in here never known what real love was until you met the Father? Life can be painful. And much of it can be, can come from us. While we judge others by their actions and judge ourselves by our intentions, we move forward not moving anywhere. If we know that communication is big and prayer is big to God, there are four basic elements in Paul's prayer that we just read that I think we can incorporate into our own prayers. First of all, Lord, strengthen me through your spirit. Paul starts this way if ever we begin ours. When we pray, we're asking God to do something for us, but Paul doesn't ask something to do, God to do something for him. He asks God to do something in him. That's a big difference. God wants to use you. Look at verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. God's strength, he says, works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. He wants to use you. Will you let him? If you are in a group of people and you ask, do you have any prayer requests? 99% of the prayer requests are going to be, I know sick people. I need my finances changed. I need my marriage help. Right? We are a lot more concerned as humans wrapped in flesh with physical health and financial well-being than we are with God's will for our life. We need to change that. When you think of when you're praying, start with hallowed be your name on your knees before. And you might see that he's going to take care of the other stuff anyway. Jesus himself said, seek first my kingdom and all of my righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. We start with all these other things and wonder why they don't get taken care of and then leave the church until we have problems again. Paul's first prayer was not for health or wealth. It was for inner strength and power. It's not coincidental. This was the first thing he prays. Because unless you're daily, continuously strengthened by the Holy Spirit, you can't walk with God. You can't work with God. You can't witness for God. You don't have a witness in and of yourself. The best I can do as me is be me, right? But the power of the Holy Spirit is not me. The power of the Holy Spirit forgave me for being me, for following my flesh in me. You see how many times I just said me? 
I have to get me off of the throne and put him on it in order to have any power. God doesn't need our power to live for him because we don't have any. We need his power to live through us. If someone were to give you a play like Romeo and write written out, could you just go act it or rewrite it? No. The dude was a genius. <laughs> That's what it's like trying to be a Christian. You're not born Romeo. You're not born Shakespeare. So how am I going to recreate something that doesn't come naturally out of me? There are things that the Holy Spirit will give you, and we read this in Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness. And against such things, there's no law. Why? You can be kind and lost, but you, can be, you can't be saved without being kind. There's something that flew through, flows through Emily Sisson to those children that comes out of her love for the Holy Spirit and her Savior. Day after day after day, she's not looking for the paycheck to come in. She's looking for how she can care for people because she was first cared for. We don't clock in and out on God's time. We want God's will. John 15, 5 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. John 15, 5. God does not need our power. We need his. Some people say, I can't live up to that. I can't live the Christian life. You're right. And that ought to take some pressure off. It's impossible to be a Christian, especially without the power of the Holy Spirit. Because then you're just an actor, and what do people call actors? Hypocrites. That's why people don't come to church, because I act this way here, and I act that way there. What if your life is not an act? What if you are actually living? It empowers you to change your desires and your wants, and as you move forward, you have his power living within you. Verse 17, the first part of it, so that Christ, this is the reason, may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's by grace that we're saved through what? Faith. Yet not of yourselves the gift of God. Christ wants to dwell in your heart, but if I'm separated from my Father because of sin, I got me dwelling in my heart, and I'm standing up. I might be a Christian, and I'm sealed and sanctified, and I'm going to heaven, but I'm an idiot. I'm a walking disaster, and people look and go, that guy claims to be a Christian, but he has no power. Don't think that you're lost. When my dad got on to me when I was a little kid, he beat me. I'd go to my room, and I'd cuss him some, and then he, he was still my dad, Right? But I came out and I had to apologize or get right with him before we had fellowship again. When we get right with God, if he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, there's a participation that we have to have with God in communication. Repentance is confessing with your mouth, right? It's confessing that I need him to save me. There are two Greek words that can be translated dwell, that Christ may dwell. One is a foreign. Think of yourself in a foreign land. I had a bunch of friends that were uh, in the Navy when I was in Pensacola. 
Then I had some guys in Jacksonville when I was in Jacksonville who would travel through. Jacksonville was not their home. Pensacola was not their home. They rented places there or they stayed on the base. Their home was in California, Virginia, all over the place. Their home was somewhere else. They were in a temporary dwelling paying money that they had to, and they didn't feel welcome per se because it wasn't their home. When they go back home, that's their home. The other word that Paul uses for dwell is, this is your home. This is what he was saying here. You're not, Jesus isn't just traveling through. He wants to dwell in you. He wants to stay there, but we tend to let him come and go according to our desires and wants. I'll kick him out when it's convenient. I don't want your influence right now. Paul was saying, I want it. He wants it all the time. He wants to dwell in you, to change who you are. He wants to use you. He wants to be at home in you. So what's the, what's the question for me? Is Christ at home in my heart? That was Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. You guys aren't going to mess up a whole lot if Christ is at home in your heart. You're not going to be as frustrated with life if he's at home in your heart. There's a difference between Jesus being in the house of your heart and Jesus being on the throne of your heart. Number two, Lord, load me with your love. This prayer is like a set of steps, and each step takes you deeper with God. Verse 17, the second part of it through 19, says that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you, being rooted and grounded. There's two words there. Rooted is an agricultural term. A tree has roots. It gets nourishment into those roots and therefore grows healthy because of its roots. If you are rooted, you're healthy. You're being fed. If you're grounded, that would be an architectural term or a building term, a construction term. The bigger the house, the bigger the building, the bigger the foundation needs to be to drive into the ground so that the house won't topple if we have a hurricane. How firm is your foundation and how deep are your roots? When you are controlled by the Spirit of God, you will be consumed by the love of God and He will pour all the nourishment that you need into your root system to feed you. And the more root nourishment you get, the more nourishment you want. Have you ever gotten bad nourishment and you just didn't feel good and go, I'm not eating that again? Well, think of your spiritual life the same way. Why do we keep putting the same garbage in our root system and wonder why our roots are dying? Why does my life look terrible? Well, maybe you're feeding it bad. When we feed the Word of God into our hearts and into our minds, it changes everything in your life. Your intellect, your physical shape. It's a matter of obedience. God doesn't give us this information to make us smarter, to have more information. He gives it to change our hearts. If Christ is living in your heart, He infiltrates your heart, He changes everything else. 
we become rooted and grounded. And what you really love becomes more important than what you really believe. That's a fact. Why do we do the things we do? Because I like it. (laughs) You can't get around that. I made a mistake. No, you did what you wanted to do. That's a tough thing to say. It's a tough thing to say to yourself. It's a tough thing to say to God. But when you say it to God and he forgives you, it's the greatest thing you could say to yourself and to God. He wants so much more for you. Tim Keller said it this way. What makes people into what they are is the order of their loves. What they love most, more, less, and least. That is more fundamental to who you are than even the beliefs to which you mentally subscribe. Your loves show what you actually believe in, not what you say you believe in. People therefore change not by merely changing their thinking, but by changing what they love most. God will help you change your loves. He will empower you to change what you love most if you love him first. When he becomes hallowed be thy name. When I got married, I started liking different things. Not immediately, but after 21 years, I don't go to the same places and do the same things. I go where she tells me to go. (laughs) Right? After 20 years of a relationship with God, I don't go to the same place and do the same things. I go where he tells me to go. And I'm happy to be there. It's fantastic. We don't trust God enough to get there. I think that's the trouble. It takes a while. A relationship with honest and open communication takes work. Look at verse 19 again. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What does that mean? That you can know the love of God, but you can't really know the love of God. I think what I have tended to do is put, try and cram God into my little brain. He doesn't fit. If God created the universe, how could he fit in my brain and my understanding? I can't do that. He's either real or he's not. And I think it took me more faith to deny that he was real for so long. When I accepted that I'm not going to have the answers to a lot of things, my brain loosened up enough to receive what he was trying to tell me, and that's when things began to make sense and take off. You have to trust God to start, and then he gives you wisdom as you go. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Is what scripture says. You might doubt the wisdom of God. You might doubt the works of God, the ways of God. But you don't ever doubt his love for you. He will fill you with his love. Number three, fill me with your fullness, Paul prayed. In the second part of 19b, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. When God strengthens you with his spirit and loads you with his love, he fills you with himself. Have you ever heard somebody just say you're full of it? I've never heard that. I mean, what do you think of? If somebody's full of themselves, they think they've got it going on. When somebody says that, that's a derogatory comment. Somebody somewhere also said, you, when you're full of yourself, egotistical, self-centered, conceited, 
they can't see anybody but themselves. How can I see clearly when all I can see is me? When all I can see is my own problems, I can't see the needs of the Ephesians. Paul could have stared at those four walls. And he could have seen, woe is me. I have no production here. God locked me up. Blah, blah, blah. But that's not what he did. He saw through those walls to see the needs of the world around him. Even the jailers that came to faith in Christ. You're either full of yourself or you're full of God. John 3.30 says, he must increase, but I must decrease. That's what John the Baptist said. In this world, at the time, John the Baptist is out separate from everybody else, baptizing people. Jesus comes onto the scene, and the first thing John the Baptist says is, I'm not even worthy. I I can't baptize you. You need to be baptizing me. John the Baptist was not full of himself. He was full of Christ and full of everyone else. Paul, every one of the disciples turned from being full of themselves, and you watch the transference to being full of the Holy Spirit, and Peter goes from denying Christ three times to thousands coming to faith in Christ, building the church on him. The more you get of God, the more you want of God. Isaiah 6 Sixty-four six says, We've all become like one who is unclean, and our righteous deeds are like polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. You can go your own way, but you don't have to. Number four, Lord, persuade me of your power. Persuade me of your power. How Paul finishes this passage up in verse 20 determines whether or not we have to bother to pray at all. Too often when we pray, we focus on our problems. We've already talked about that. But nothing reveals more about what you really believe about God than what you say about God in your prayers. Paul shows us how to end the prayers. Start with, hallowed be thy name, you're more important and I'm on my knees. But we bring all these problems because we all have problems. And I don't want you to feel bad about praying for problems because we all have them and God wants to hear them. The issue is, do I want God only as a solution to the problems, or do I want God in spite of having them? Because God will tend to use those to draw us closer to him. C.S. Lewis even said, pain is God's megaphone. Whatever we look to and look at becomes the largest thing in your mind, right? Whatever I'm focused on, that's the biggest thing above everything else. So if that's true... If the problems are the biggest thing in my mind, where is God? Smaller than my problems. I've found that the more I focus on my problems, the smaller God gets, if at all, any attention. Sometimes I'll ignore God, go try to solve my problems for weeks on end, and then go back to him and go, I'm sorry. Help. Now to him who is able, in verse 20, Now to him who is able, I'm taking God out of my box, my little brain, and releasing him to be God. I'm not binding God by my thoughts. I'm binding my thoughts to God's will. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Scripture doesn't say you are able anywhere. It says, it doesn't say I'm able. 
It says we are unable. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Moses was called to deliver God's people out of Egypt. Moses said, I stutter, I can't do it. God used him. Joshua comes on the scene after Moses died. I want you to go in, conquer the land, take you to the promised land. I'm not able. The Lord says, I'll be with you. Go. And he did, and God used him. Gideon, up against the Midianites. What did he say? I can't do this. Send somebody else, help me. The scripture says the spirit of the Lord literally clothed himself with Gideon. Put, on him, put him on like a jacket. Used him in spite of himself, the smallest, most insignificant guy, to bring about a great victory in their nation. You're not able. You don't have to be able. But God is. Because God is. Jeremiah 32, 27 says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? And Psalm 37, 5 confirms that nothing is too difficult for God. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He'll do it. You don't have to do it. He'll do it. He'll do it through you. And he'll actually do it for you. The devil doesn't want you to see that God can do what you don't trust God to do. The devil wants you to see your problems. He wants to see that your problems are bigger than God. If anything, he wants you to see God's not real. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly he doesn't just barely do it. He abundantly does it. Far more abundantly than you can even imagine. If you can't imagine it, do you have to know that God knows what you can imagine? He knows what you love better than you know what you love. He puts you in spots that you could never dream that are better than you can give yourself. Why would I want what I can give me when I've already seen what I can give me? <laughs> Here's a convicting question. If other people listen to your prayers, would they believe that you believe in a God who can do anything? If other people could hear you pray, would they believe that you believe in a God that can answer your prayers abundantly? James told us not to pray with doubt. The size of my prayers reveals how big I think God is. So we just have to ask ourselves, how big is my God? Because he can be as big as you want him to be. He's bigger than you can imagine him to be. He's more than you need. And loves you more than you understand. So we might have to ask ourselves, or we might be thinking right now, what in the world does that have to do with me tomorrow? What am I going to do with this when I go to work? What am I going to do with this when I go home? How am I going to pay my bills by just sitting down and praying? How am I going to raise rebellious children? For the next 30 days, 
Every day, ask God to strengthen you with his spirit. Every day, ask him to load you with his love. His love's going to comfort you, and his spirit is going to empower you, fill you with his fullness, and he's going to persuade you of his power by doing miracles that you didn't think could happen. I'm going to ask the band to come up here, and I'm going to tell you real quick. I tried to change my circumstances early before Ashley and I were married. Rather than trying to change myself for God, I tried to change my circumstances. I gave up. It was uh, about a month before we were getting married. I had started tithing in January of that year, and I didn't have hardly any money coming in. We bought a house in Midtown, or I did. First time she went over there, somebody stole her purse out of her car. She was in the house for five minutes, went back out, and somebody stole her purse. Ashley, her dad had taken care of her. She didn't have any needs. I didn't have anything to provide. I'm thinking, she's used to this lifestyle, and I'm going to give her this lifestyle. So I was praying in a Bible study that I did on tithing of all things, has nothing to do with this message and everything to do with this message. I realized during that prayer, during that meeting, that lesson I learned that I wasn't giving my full first fruits. I thought that I was, but I wasn't. I said, what in the world am I supposed to do? And I felt conviction. You go back when you made the commitment, which was January, now we're in August. Do the math on the difference. And this is I'll tell you how much money I was making. The difference was $256. Some, you're probably, some of you are thinking that's not very significant. Well, let me tell you something. That's all I had. It's all I had. I was in my, my office. I put my head down and I prayed. And I said, Lord, this is all I have. But I believe all I have is all you want. It was like something clicked in me. Something in here broke. I was already a believer. I was already being faithful, but I hadn't given him all until I had to give him all, right? practical what are the odds that $256 all I had in my checking account I wrote the check without thinking about it because if I had a thought about it I would have boxed God into my little brain and I would have talked him out of it and I would have just moved on and I would have kept my little money went on to get married the next month within three months we sold that house. We didn't know we were going to be able to. Made money off of the house and moved into a little one-bedroom apartment, and we were completely out of debt. Married in September, completely debt-free by December, by Christmas. Got us a little Christmas tree in our little one-bedroom apartment and just didn't worry about finances. Within two months after that, I meet this guy and we became best friends, still know him to this day. 
God opened the door for real estate at the time. Brand new business within the business that I was already doing. And within six months, we were living in a four bedroom, three bath house with a gunite pool and palm trees that I bought on the courthouse steps with somebody else's money. Ever since I was little, I'm, I'm a water boy. I love palm trees. I didn't want to move to Mobile, Alabama. I wanted to be in Hawaii. I remember sitting in my backyard going just eight, nine months ago, I was praying to barely make it speak. Didn't know how I was gonna take care of her. And now you gave me this. What the heck? I looked at every palm tree going, I love palm trees. God gives you an appreciation for what you already love in a magnified manner because you gave it to him to start with. You see, it would have taken me a lot of time to build myself up to get those same palm trees and that pool. But God said, you know what? Merry Christmas. I did not conceive that that was possible just a few months before. I'm not saying that if you give God this, he's going to bless your socks off. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that God wants your heart and he wants all of it. And if you trust him with your heart, the sky is the limit. It's not about the pool. It's about your savior. When you can go home and not worry about bills and stuff because you gave them to him. Some of y'all might have some things that you need to give to him tonight. All I'm going to ask, you can go ahead and stand. All I'm going to ask is that for the next minute or so, you pray an honest prayer where you're sitting or down front. God, what have I not trusted you with? What have I not given you? Did I give you all of me? Or am I holding on to something that's holding me back? He wants honest and open communication and obedience. And he promises to provide all your needs according to his riches and glory. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing a little song. I'm going to be standing down front if you want, to, if you want prayer for anything. Pray honestly. Lord, from Paul, we learn to be outward focused. We learn to depend on your love. We learn that your power is greater than any power we could summon from ourselves. And Lord, we're thankful. It's my prayer right now that if there's anything within anyone that wants to give anything up tonight. As Church of the Island, we want you to have all of us. Not just some of us, but all of us. And I pray that as we give that up, you would 
send out such a blessing there's not room enough to receive it that you would fill our hearts with love and our minds with contentment knowing that we have you and that's enough and if there's anyone here that doesn't know who you are Lord I pray that your spirit would make intercession with theirs right now if you don't know Jesus and you want to simply pray a prayer like this from your seat where you are we're not trying to embarrass anybody Lord I don't know you but I want to and I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and Lord I'm a sinner Lord I ask that you would save me from my sin the Bible says that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us and that if you confess your sins he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness he wants to cleanse you if you prayed that prayer he just did I promise you that if you prayed that prayer I'd like you to see me after the service so I can give you some more information on how to follow in your faith everyone else let's just pray honestly in Jesus name Amen